If you're in first through third grade, you can slip out to our children's church at this time. The rest of us are turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll read the entirety of the chapter. If you're just joining us, our journey through Ecclesiastes has been one of reality. It's been one that has been eye-opening and exciting. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon records, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from all his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor take it away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust they return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For this is his lot, that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him. Ecclesiastes is an earthy book. It tells us how life is. It tells us what to believe about how life is, and Ecclesiastes doesn't sugarcoat anything. If it is this way, it is that way. Maybe you've met someone like that in your life. They do not know the art of the sugarcoat, right? They walk in, and if something is wrong, they tell you. If something is right, they tell you. The benefit about having a friend like that is you always know where you stand with them, right? The negative is you always know where you stand with them because everything is straight up. That's Solomon here. He's learned the wisdom of saying, listen, it does no good to pretend like things aren't as they actually are. It does no good to put lipstick on a pig. 
It does no good to try to pretend like something is not as bad as it is because, as we've discovered in this series, life is hard, but God is good. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 3 gives us a picture of life, and then it gives us six perspectives about that life. As I learned last night, everything in life is Hebel. If you're visiting, I was born and raised in Clemson, South Carolina. I had two perspectives of the game, neither of which I enjoyed. I had the benefit of the perspective of actually being on the sidelines. And I also had the perspective of being in the stands. And both left a bad taste in my mouth. We're going to talk about perspective this morning. Perspective. Ecclesiastes is centered around the theme. If you're visiting with us, if you're, if you're new to this series, you don't recognize the word havel. The rest of us do because it means breath. It means vapor. It's translated in your scriptures as vanity. But it doesn't mean sinful. It doesn't mean bad. It means transient. It means futile. Breath. As you walk out on a cold morning and you into the world, into the air, and that, that vapor exists for a time and then disappears, so is life. So is happiness. So is joy. So is youth. So is money. And we can go on and on and on. But he's talking about that specifically under the sun. You'll see a reference in chapter 3 and verse 1 as under heaven. There are some people who would believe that this under heaven may be Solomon uh, shifting themes a little bit. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not convinced by that, argue, that argument. It could be so. I think he's poetically maybe just changing the way he's saying under the sun here, under the heavens, under the skies. On this earth, life is but a breath. This passage in chapter 3 centers around this word time. Time. The concept of time. Of all the passages in Ecclesiastes, perhaps this is the most well-known passage of all. It's quoted by those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. It's the best known poem in existence regarding time. So much so that Peter Seeger in 1950 turned it into a song that the birds sang. Many of you remember that. Turn, turn, turn. I'm not going to reference a pop culture song in every message, but it seems like it's been that way in Ecclesiastes. Because even the world recognizes these truths. Verses 2 through 8 are given to us to help us understand the cyclical nature of life. They're not given to tell you what to do. Oh, now's the time to laugh, and now's the time to cry. Now's the time to mourn, and now's the time to rejoice. Now's the time to be born. Wait a minute. You know, or, or, or because a lot of these are actually out of your control. It's things that happen. It's those moments in which you don't know why, but you're, you're grieving again the loss of a loved one. It's those moments of elation when you get news you're not expecting. You didn't control when you were born, and only God is the one who has control over your last heartbeat. The reason that this poem strikes such a chord in people's heart is because this poem in verses 2 through 8 explains life in a way that everyone can understand. There are good times and there are bad times. Sometimes there's bad times in the middle of good times and sometimes there's even good in the middle of bad times. There are seasons of life. Happy, sad, giving, receiving, Peace, war. You ever wanted a remote control so you could set your own pace to life? You ever said, man, I wish life was a DVR so that I could hit pause right now. 
that moment when that grandchild climbs into your lap and you realize the reason why you didn't kill your child. (laughs) This is why. All those times I was tempted and yet now it's worth it. That time on a date with your spouse when everything comes together and you, you look in their eyes and it's that moment where there are no distractions. You share that connection. That moment in time where you've been working for something and, and your boss tells you it's all come together and you've gotten the promotion. Or maybe you don't want a pause button right now. You want a fast forward button. Maybe your life seems like it'd be better if if things could just hurry up and get past this. You remember VHS tapes? Remember those little contraptions, the rewinders that you would have? Because putting it in the VHS player and hitting rewind was just too slow. And so they had these, these little contraptions, and kids, you're just going to have to, you know, just wait for just a minute. It's really cool. You need to find one. Um, you put a VHS tape in the rewinder, and you push it down, and you push the button, and if the ribbon doesn't get tangled and it works as it's supposed to, it's really cool. It just and goes all the way back to the beginning really fast. And some of you are at a point in your life where you wish you could do that with your life. You wish you could take your life and you could put it in that VHS rewinder and you could hit rewind and you could go back to the beginning and start all over. You hear the silence in the room? That's why this poem strikes a chord in your heart because it hits you exactly where you are. The very first line of this chapter helps us understand why Solomon has chosen to include this. It says, for everything... There is a season. You know, your life is made up of a series of seasons. Some may be longer than others, but none last forever. There's the season of childhood and the season of adolescence. The season of early adulthood. The season of of the middle age crisis. The season of your later years, and yet the season of your sunset years. Some may be longer than others, but none last forever. And if you're in the midst of a trial or hardship, then this is comforting to you. Guess what? It's not going to last forever. Time and truth have a way of healing most all wounds. But if you're in the midst of blessing, this is an admonition. It won't last forever. Do you know how many of you have come to me with my phase of life with our children and say, enjoy it, because you'll blink and they'll be gone? Why is it so common for some people to say that? And if you've said that to me, there was a time in your life where you made a commitment never to say that to anybody, because people said it to you. And you're like, when I get older, I'm not going to be like that. And here you go, you turn around and you're saying it to all of your young families, you better enjoy it while you can, you know, because it happens to all of us. And we try. Because it'll soon be gone. Because seasons come and seasons go, and those leaves that were gorgeous this year now are the biggest pain in the neck in your yard. Because seasons come and seasons go. One of the truths that I'd like you to see this morning in our passage is that each season has a specific purpose for you. Some of you are in the season of a new infant life being brought into your family. A time to be born. And yet there are others who will have an empty seat for the first time at Thanksgiving this year. It's a time to die. Some are here in a season of rejoicing, others in grief, some in a season of wealth, for others a season of poverty, for some a season of singleness, for others marriage, and yet for others widowhood, and whatever season you are in, God has brought you into this, and he will preserve you in it because, look at the next phrase, a time for every matter under heaven. 
God is never rushed. And God never does things out of order. Then life is explained in verses 2 through 8. And Solomon gives his conclusion in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Here's his conclusion to his poem. What gain has the worker from all of his toil? He says, what good is life? Or because of this truth, how should I think about life? What should my perspective be? Friends, listen to me carefully. Time is your most valuable asset. Everyone is given the same amount of hours in the day. Time is the only asset that you have. Once spent, it can never get back. If you have a Bible journal with you, I want you to, at the top of your page, write a number. I want you to write 27,375. If you have a Bible journal, write it at the top there, 27,375. Why would I want you to write that? Because that's the average number of days that you will have on this earth. 75 years. Just a little less than that, but we're going to be, you know, be a little bit optimistic this morning. Because it's really 74 and a half years, but we'll give you an extra 100 days, just for good sake. That means if you're 70 years old and you're here, you only have 1,825 days left. If you're 40 years old, you only have 12,775 days left. Of course, some of you will live more than this and some of you will live less than this, but this is the average. You're a slave to this number. God is the determiner of your first breath and your last breath. Time, we're all slaves to it. None of us can evade it. Solomon calls us this morning to shift our perspective about time. Understanding time in light of eternity means viewing it from a proper perspective. Perspective. What's your perspective on time? In 1966, Notre Dame won a national championship, and on the way to that, they played number 10 USC Trojans in L.A. There were questions about whether or not they were the best team in the country. They put on a show in Los Angeles in 1966 and beat the Trojans 51-0. to Coach John McKay of USC walked in the locker room after this humiliating defeat by Notre Dame. He saw his team with their heads bowed low. They were beaten. They were worn out. They were thoroughly depressed because they were not accustomed to losing. And knowing that they needed a perspective change, he stood up on a bench and Coach McKay said the following, Men, let's keep this in proper perspective. There are 800 million people in China who don't even know this game ever happened. (laughs) Proper perspective. As we look at this concept of time and our relationship to it, Solomon gives us six truths that will help us have a heavenly perspective this morning. As you navigate your life, you must have a heavenly perspective about time so that you can live your life in a way that's free to enjoy God. You must have this perspective so that you can live a life of freedom and enjoying life and enjoying God. So let's look at these six perspectives to understand life this morning. Number one, they're found in verses 10 through verse 22. Each one of them is set off with, I have seen, I perceived, or I saw. All of them but one. There's a sneaky one in there that Solomon kind of sneaks in. I'll show it to you. But if you, if you highlight or you underline, you can actually trace these through these verses. I perceived, I saw, I perceived. Here's his perspectives. Number one, the conflict in your heart between time and eternity is actually a gift from God. The conflict in your heart that's given between time and eternity is actually a gift from God. You say, I didn't know I had a conflict. Well, you do, and I'll show it to you. Look at verse 10. I've seen the busyness that's God given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. 
That's why you want a pause button to say, I wish this moment will last forever. And friends, if you're a Christian, one day it will. Those moments where you get a glimpse, it's, it's like... It's like somebody threw a rock into heaven and it splashed over into this earth and you just got one drop of heaven that hits you for that one moment. And you go, I wish this would last forever. Friend, one day it will. Why do you even want it to last forever? Because God's put that in your heart. He's put a longing for eternity. Everything in your life is a gift from God. Every season of life, even that season that seems to hurt so much. Everything has been directed by God and holds a specific purpose in its own time. Meaning that God has a reason for every moment in your life. Look at verse 11. It's an interesting phrase. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You say, well, it, life doesn't seem very beautiful to me right now. You know, it's interesting when you look into that word beautiful. It's used one other time in the book of Ecclesiastes and it's translated fitting. Fitting. I was recently at one of our uh, church members' houses, and, and in their basement, they uh, have a hobby of doing puzzles. And there are all these puzzles that were framed all over the basement. It's fascinating. That would be torture to me, but for that person, it was just great. It's awesome. And so every puzzle that's completed is in a frame, and they get more and more intricate. And, and there was one puzzle that I saw specifically that had a piece missing. How frustrating is that, right? A thousand-piece puzzle, puzzle, and you got so close. And yet that last one is probably under a carpet somewhere. You know what this word beautiful means? It means a piece of the puzzle of your life. It means that every moment in your life fits perfectly with who God wants you to be. It means that as God is building, as he's building this beautiful picture of who you are, both the good and the bad, it all is put together for exactly who you, he intends you to be. The hymn that we sing, The Perfect Wisdom of Our God, ends this way. Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I choose to say your perfect will in your perfect way. Where are you not seeing this beauty in your season of life? You know, you take some of those puzzle pieces and they don't make sense. Especially if you've got a multi-thousand piece puzzle and you get this little piece and it's just got a color of this and a color of that and you're trying to figure out where it goes and you say, just as one piece doesn't make sense, but as you fit it together, you see this beautiful picture and if you want proof of this, go to some of our godly seasoned saints that are here this morning and ask them, has every hard moment in your life changed you to be who you are today? Has God used it in your life to make you a beautiful servant of God? And the answer is yes. Not only has God gifted each season as a puzzle piece fitted just for your life, he has actually gifted you to struggle between now and eternity. He's planted in you this desire, something that everyone longs for. We long for true beauty, yet everything around us is tainted by sin. We long for fulfillment, and yet we live in the shadowlands trying to find lasting purpose and not finding it. You have this longing in your heart and you can't understand it. Have you ever sat and tried to contemplate what eternity will be like? An endless progression of events going on and on and on. But when does it end? It doesn't. But that makes my stomach go, yeah, it does. Makes my heart beat fast thinking about it because I don't understand it. You're right. But you want it. You long for it. 
You have eternity written in you. Even though you can't fully understand it, it's God's gift so that you won't be happy here. So that you'll only be happy in eternity. First perspective, the conflict between time and eternity is a gift from God. Number two, God has been gracious to offer pleasure in our toil. Look at verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for this is God's gift to man. Whatever season you find yourself in, recognize that any pleasure in that season is a gift from God. A really good cup of coffee. A beautiful sunrise or sunset. A conversation that goes so well. The little things in life. God has created you to enjoy the portions of life that you can. Not to find lasting purpose and happiness here, but to enjoy life as you navigate this world. That moment where you see that child smile so innocently. You know, much of life is mundane repetition. What will you do tomorrow? You'll get up and go to work. What will you do on Tuesday? You'll get up and go to work. What will you do on Wednesday? You'll get up and go to work. What will you do on Thursday? You'll get up and go to work. We do on Friday, you'll get up and go to work. What do, you, what do you do on Saturday? You'll get up and you will not go to work unless you have to work on Saturday. And then you'll get up and you'll go to work. And what do you do in the evening? You come home from work. And what do you do in the evening? You come home from work. It's just repetition. So, so how do you deal with that? You enjoy, find a way to enjoy the process. Can I encourage you? Life is too short to be a crotchety old person. Okay? Don't live cranky. Don't live angry. Life is too short. Find things to enjoy, recognizing that when you do, it's a gift from God. You play a round of golf and you have one good shot that actually goes where you want it to go. Enjoy it. Thank you, God. It's a perspective change. Guys, you can find happiness if you just change your perspective. I love South Bend. God's given us a, a love for, for this place. We call it home. We're raising our kids here. Our kids, it's home for us. We've been here for five years, and God's just given us a deep love for this area. We had just moved here. I mean, probably two months after we moved here. It was in the middle of winter, and I was meeting with an insurance agent to talk about insurance and he said, so you just moved to the area. Yeah, where'd you move from? Brevard, North Carolina. He's like, that's where everybody goes to retire. And you were living there? Yeah. Would you have a falling out and get fired? No, we had a wonderful ministry. Well, then why did you move? Because God moved us here. And he leaned back and he said, you know, you know what the best thing is about South Bend? I said, what? He said, everywhere you go to vacation is better than where you live. He's like, think about it. If you lived in Southern California, where do you go to vacation? If you live in the beautiful mountains, where do you go to vacation? But if you live in South Bend, you can go anywhere. Perspective change. The ability to enjoy life is a gift from God. So don't waste it. Take the time to smile and laugh. You know, you complain about working until you need a job. You complain about the long hours until your boss tells you they're going to have to cut your hours. They don't have any more for you. You complain about your salary until your business is making salary cuts to keep your business afloat. It's all about perspective, isn't it? God has been gracious to offer small pleasures in this life, even though they're not meant to last. This is God's gift to man. Verse 13. Number three, eternity is real. 
Eternity is real. Therefore, fear God. Look at verses 14 and 15. I perceive, there's our key word again, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. God seeks to what has been driven away. It's everything is there in front of God. God is eternal. Life as we know it on this earth is transient. So fear God. The triune God has existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity future. Everything He is and everything He does endures forever. There is nothing about God that was true a thousand years ago that is not true today. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. So fear Him, friend. You are not God. That is the hardest truth in all of life to grasp. That there is a God and you are not Him. So how do I fear God? I was meditating on this this week. How do I fear God? I want to give you four ways in which you can fear God. There are probably endless ways in which you could work out your fear for him, but I'd like to give you just four this morning. Number one, believe his word. That word fear means to have an awesome respect and fear of. A lot of people trivialize this concept of the fear of God. It just means you respect God. No, friend, it means far more than that. It means that you have an awesome respect and even a fear of who God is. He's not the big man upstairs. He's not the Santa Claus in the skies. He's God Almighty. So believe his word. Make a commitment that everything in the Bible you will believe without reservation. There's nothing in the Bible you need to be scared of. There's nothing in the Bible you need to explain away. Believe his word. Number two, give him the proper place in your heart that he deserves. He is God. There is none else. He deserves to reign in your heart and in your life. Number three, trust that his ways are better than your ways. If you fear him, it means that you trust his ways are better. It does not mean that emotionally you're okay with everything that happens. You're fallen, you're a fallen being, right? Our emotions are God-given, and sometimes our emotions need time to catch up with truth. And sometimes you're not okay, but you need to believe that God is good. Number four, respect his wrath, rejoice in his mercy. Growing up sometimes, there were days when all I wanted was to spend time with dad. And there were days where I was scared to death to be around my dad. My dad and I had a wonderful relationship. He was my coach. He was my hero. He always protected and provided for us. But let me tell you something. I know this will shock some of you, but I was not a perfect child. And and there were days when dad coming home filled me with terror. I remember one time I got a little like a smart aleck to my dad. I just bought this new shirt that I thought was really cool and trendy. I was like 14. And I came in and my dad said, looked at me and said, what are you wearing? And I looked at him like a fool and I said, a shirt. And my dad squared up to me and he took his hand and pinched my neck and pushed me up against the wall 
and got about this far from my face, he said, don't you ever talk to me like that again. And what did I do? Yes, yes, sir. Right? I'm 14 years old. Scared to death of my dad. I never have done anything like that again. I remember like it was yesterday. And friends, when you think about God, you need to have a proper fear of who he is. Because one day when he returns, he will wipe this earth clean with one word. And he will conquer sin. And friend, listen to me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to listen very carefully. There will come a day when you will bow your knee and you will profess him as Lord, not by faith, but by force, if you don't bow here on this earth. Because Jesus will have your allegiance. And scripture says that one day every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you will tremble, and you will beg for mercy. And if you don't turn from your sins and turn to Christ on this earth, it will be too late. And you will recognize him as Lord, and you will spend eternity separated from him in hell. And God does not desire that, but it will glorify him. Because his righteousness and his justice will be vindicated. And you need to have a fear of that. And Christian, you need to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith because you need to have a fear of God. That you need to respect his wrath. But friend, you need to rejoice in his mercy. Because in Christ, God poured out all the wrath of sin. And tucked in Christ, you find mercy you find grace. And so rejoice in that. If you're here and you're not a Christian, recognize God alone can save you. Going with that, number four, I told you Solomon kind of sneaks one in and it's found in verse 16. Moreover, he doesn't say I saw or I perceived. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, there was wickedness. I'm sorry, the next one is actually the one he sneaks in. I said in my heart. I saw under the sun in the place of justice, there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Number four, God will work out final justice for the righteous and the wicked. The perspective is that God wins. And true justice will be worked out. Does it look like wickedness is winning and righteousness is being oppressed on this earth? Yes, it does. Does it look like on this earth, from our perspective, confusion? Yes. You ever been on the sidelines during a, a, a football game like that? These guys are massive. I mean, they're huge. And and when you're on the sidelines and you're trying to understand what's happening in the play, I don't know how those guys do it. I mean, it's, it's incredible because they're all gigantic. And it's, it's like confusion if you don't know what's happening. But yet you get in the stands and you look down or you're watching on TV and you can see the play develop and you go, he's open. And the other guy's going, yeah, I know, but the guy in front of me is 6'6", 350 pounds, and he wants to kill me. So I'm sorry if I didn't see him, you know? Because when you change your perspective, you recognize the truth of what's happening. And friends, God will win. In fact, he's already won. And though the battle rages, the war has been won, sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And one day he'll return as our conquering king and we'll see it with our eyes. Perfect justice will be worked out by the perfect king. Every matter and every work will be accounted for. Number five, I was trying to figure out a way to, to 
wordsmith number five. I'm not a very good wordsmith, so I'll just be as honest as Solomon is, okay? Number five, here we go. Your life will end soon. (laughs) I didn't know how else to put that. Your life will end soon. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, verse 18, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That word beast means domesticated animal. Uh, It's used specifically for domesticated sheep and cows that were used for meat. And so when we bring, you know, whatever, you know, crimson or whatever your dog, your, your dog, hopefully not your dog, your cow's name is, and you, you are going to butcher him, like I said, hopefully not your dog, you're going to butcher him later, you have brought in this animal for the specific purpose one day of dying, okay? It's kind of morbid to think about it like that, but if you're on a farm, it's what you do. And what Solomon is saying is that Men have to realize that from the moment you're born, your purpose is that one day you're going to die and you're going to spend eternity somewhere. That you're but a domesticated beast. That, that, that's, that's the way that the earthly perspective... Remember, he's talking about life under the sun. You're like, that's really hard to hear. I, I know, but it's true. Look at verse 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is havel. When I look around, animals die, people die. Well, we live longer than animals. Not the tortoise. Right? Those guys are living for 150 years and still going as slow as ever. People die, animals die. All go to one place. That's the grave. That's the ground. All are from the dust and to dust all return. And then he gives the perspective of humans and says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. He's not saying, I don't know if heaven is real. What he's saying is, you've never been there. That word know means to experience. From the perspective of this earth, no one has experienced heaven or hell. Some will write books to try to tell you that they have, but be warned, friend, they're not biblical. The experiential books about heaven, well, I went to heaven and I came back. No, you didn't. You may have had a dream. But if you read carefully, what the Bible says about heaven and what those books say about heaven are very different. So be warned, be careful. I made some of you, I may have just offended you. It's okay, we got great books in the Resource Center that can help you be discerning about what you're putting in your brain. No one on this earth has ever experienced that. Verse 21 should not alarm you But it should be a reminder that we get our truths about eternity from Scripture. Everything about heaven you need to know, God's given you. Everything about eternity you need to know is written for you on the pages of Scripture. Paul was carried up into the third heaven. What is that? I don't know, but it it probably was awesome. And he came back down and he says, I'm not... I'm not permitted. I can write some of these things, but I'm not permitted to tell you. If someone were to be carried up that way today, that's the same thing they would say. I'm not permitted. God has not given that because he's given everything in his scripture. Paul recorded everything we need to know in the written scripture. It does not mean that we don't know biblically what will happen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Will our friends and family be there? Yes, but the focus of heaven is the Lord. Scripture reveals what happens after death. It's, report, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Once you pass into eternity, your opportunity to turn to Jesus is over. There is no, I died, went to hell, came back, now I have an opportunity to get saved. Your destiny is sealed. And so, my friend, be careful. 
that your eternity is sure. All of our lives are so brief, aren't they? And it, it goes into the last one, number six. Look down, number, look down at verse 22. There's a really fascinating conclusion he gives here. So I saw there's nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Um, have you ever seen someone looking at a large picture, like an overhead? You know, I, I've never been like in, obviously, like in like a, a uh, you know, a place that is examining photos from satellites. Let's say you go to Google Earth and you print out a large picture and, and you go and you're looking at the details. What you get is you get a glimpse of one spot in one point in time. So if you were hired by, you know, some government to examine uh, satellite photos to make a determination on this or on that. You'd have a microscope and you'd look at a photo and you'd look in the top left corner and you'd zoom way in to try to tell the details of that specific spot and that specific moment of time. And that is your life. A specific spot at a specific moment of time. You say, but I've traveled broadly. It doesn't matter. You've been in one spot at one moment of time and that's what shaped your experiences is that that's all that you know is one spot in one moment of time. And God sees all of it. You don't know what's happening outside this building right now. You don't know what's happening when you go home to eat lunch, what's happening outside your house. Like You only know one, one little spot in one moment of time. And God sees it all. So trust him. Trust him. Our knowledge is limited, but God's is not. Does God know how to orchestrate your life so you can be the best servant of God you can be? Yes. Does God love you enough to want what's your best for his glory? Yes. So trust him. Trust him. Perspectives of time. Those six perspectives. Three short conclusions and we'll be done. Number one, rejoice in your work. Where do I go from here? Rejoice in your work, friends. Whatever God has you, wherever he has you, whatever he has you doing, find reasons to rejoice and rejoice and find pleasure in your seasons. There's some of you who would say, you couldn't pay me enough money to raise another child. And yet there are others in here who would give anything to hold a baby. Everyone's season is different. God has your puzzle. He's building piece by piece. Each moment fitting for the last. So rejoice in whatever season he's planted you. Number two, remember your limitations. Remember your limitations. You are not God. I know what they're thinking. No, you don't. No, you don't. I knew what he meant by that. No, you don't. I know what happened. No, were you there? No, then you don't. Know your limitations, friend. You are not God. Don't pretend to be God. Your knowledge is limited. His his is eternal. Recognize Every time you go to bed at night, you thank God for your mortality and your need of rest because you are a limited human being and you serve an eternal God. Lastly, recognize your vulnerability and your mortality. My friend, our calling is to live in faith and die in faith. You will not live forever. You are vulnerable. Reorient your perspective this morning to recognize this in your life. I'll close with this illustration. When I was a youth pastor, we moved to North Carolina after finishing being a youth pastor in Indianapolis. And nine months after we left, our youth group was involved in a terrible bus accident in which the youth pastor who followed me, his wife, his unborn, their unborn child, and a mother of one of the teenagers were killed. The bus careened out of control. It hit a 
cement barrier and actually flipped over and landed on its roof and many of the teens were ejected out. I can tell you story after story about God, God protected them. Just one testimony, uh, one of the teens um, came running back in not knowing what had happened and one of the teens, a 12-year-old, and, uh, and the police officer grabbed her and he said, honey, are you okay? She's like, I don't know what happened. I just landed on a pillow and it was cement. She had a scratch on her. Just amazing, right? Um, it took two years for those teens to get back on a bus. Why? Well, statistically, they were actually safer than they'd ever been because statistically, to be in two bus accidents in your life is almost impossible. So statistically, they're like, man, we should be good to go for the rest of our life. Let's go the next day. But we don't operate in statistics, do we? We operate in emotions, and something very interesting had happened is that even though they weren't more vulnerable than before, they recognized their vulnerability for the first time. That all of a sudden, the road turned from a safe place to a dangerous place because of their experiences. They recognized their vulnerability. You hear testimonies like this all the time. I thought I was king of the world until this happened, and then I took a step back. Man, I thought, I thought I was going to live forever until my friend got sick or until the doctor said cancer or until my wife or until my husband. Friend, let that until moment be right now. That you recognize that God is in control and you are human. And that everything he's given in this life, he's given to you as his child as a gift. So it can be a shadow of heaven of the pleasure that will come in eternity. But live your life here recognizing that this may be our last day. So don't be cranky. Forgive. Let go. Love deeply. Be true to your spouse. Obey your parents. We thank the Lord for this opportunity to recognize that life is but a breath. And may we live with that in mind. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for this dose of reality and that this earthy book has been so clear. And Ecclesiastes, though written 3,000 years ago, could have been written yesterday and its relevancy. And I pray that you'd give us the proper perspective that we would not get burdened down with the small things in this life, but that we would be able to to look at life from 30,000 feet and be able to see you working. Even when our emotions don't line up with the truths of Scripture, may we believe those truths. May we align our heart with the truths of Scripture and may we find ourselves living according to your word, fearing you, living in light of eternity.